Welcome to the Truth Be Known podcast, bringing you the objective truth boldly, candidly, and without apology. Welcome to this week's episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Truth Be Known podcast. I'm Nathaniel Jolly. Uh, this week, Eki is out of town, so he's not joining us, but we still have a really good topic that I think needs to be uh, covered. You know, it's interesting to me, uh, every time you post something on social media about church membership, you inevitably get all kinds of comments from professing believers, both those who would claim, you know, to be of the Reformed camp, as well as, um, you know, believers who, professing believers who aren't. And generally speaking, you get a lot of pushback, uh, even from both of these crowds. And I I guess the question is, why is that? Um, What is it about professing Christians not being submitted to the local church that seems to be so common? It's a good question. And I think there are kind of a a multifaceted answer to that question. Um, But, you know, I I think the reality is the first thing to say is that many just simply aren't Christian, right? And I want to talk about the reform camp first, right? So that's sort of the camp that if you listen to our podcast, you probably uh, fall into that, you know, either reformed or Calvinistic, at least in your soteriology. But, you know, it's interesting that how, how often reform people find themselves not in a local church. In fact, I can think of a few people that I see occasionally on Twitter uh, who just aren't plugged into a local church. And as far as I know, they haven't really been committed to a local church for quite some time. And these are people who, again, they would call themselves Calvinistic. They would call themselves Reformed. Um, So why is that? Well, I, I think for the folks who would say that they're reformed and they refuse to be plugged in and submitted to a local church, uh, the the reason is just simply that they are not truly reformed. Okay. Um, now, if we're talking about reformed as defined, uh, like uh, your Calvinistic, your confessional, and your covenantal, um, right? These are re- the the reformed guys who would say that they adhere to some sort of confession. If they're not plugged into a local church, they are not reformed. And I say they're not reformed because they're disagreeing with their own confession. Uh, Every confession speaks to not only the need, but the necessity and the obligation for the believer to be plugged into and submitted to a local church. Let me just give you one example. You know, so I'm a 1689 guy. And so if one were to say, you know, yeah, I'm a Reformed Baptist. Uh, we adhere to 1689, maybe it's the Heidelberg, whatever. Um, but let me just give you one example. For instance, in chapter 23.12 of the 1689 London Baptist Confession, we read this. It says, excuse me, all believers are obligated to join themselves to local churches when and where they have opportunity. And and so there are two things going on here in in, in this. One is um, that there are those unique scenarios and situations where there is genuinely no church to be found. Look, I live in Alaska, and we have those places where the only so-called church is genuinely apostate, not a real church, has a woman pastor, 
um, you know, totally bonkers, charismatic. They don't preach the real gospel. They preach, you know, a a a, a Bethel Red in California Jesus, um, which is a different Jesus. You know, they deny the deity of Christ. There are places, even in the U.S., where uh, there is no local church, right? Um, but the other thing that the passage brings out is when and where they have the opportunity. And so for someone to claim to be reformed and to not be plugged into a local church is just indicative of dishonesty. They're just not informed. Uh, they're, they're not reformed, sorry. They're also not informed biblically. There's no such thing biblically as a Christian who could go to a church who just doesn't. That, that's not biblical thing, right? And so we have, we have that issue. And I think one of the pushbacks that come from the reform camp often from these guys, um, basically brass tacks is they can't find any church they agree with 100%. Now, I know that might upset some people, but this is just the reality. And if that is practically what's happening, Right, they may disagree with that and say, "Well, I'm not looking for a perfect church." But then, when you look at all the reasons that they leave church after church after church, or they refuse to commit to a church that's available to them, what you come to discover is they they want the church to be 100% in agreement with every little and minute doctrine that they think is the most important thing. And so, this is a problem because it demonstrates really just a severe lack of not only the church itself, but of human nature, of God's grace. Um, it shows a, a lack of understanding that of uh, primary, secondary, and tertiary doctrines. And I know those words aren't found in Scripture, but right there are there are doctrines that um, we that would cause us not to have fellowship with someone else that claims to be a Christian. Right, those are primary or first tier doctrines. So, if your um, if your doctrines of the person and work of Christ or uh, God or the Holy Spirit are, are are blasphemous, right, are wrong, if you preach a different Jesus, those are primary doctrine. Those are first tier doctrines. Those are doctrines that make the difference between whether we're actually brothers and sisters in Christ or not. Um, and, and so, yes, we break fellowship over those second tier doctrines, and we've done. Uh, I, I, we've talked about this on the podcast a few times. Second tier doctrines are those doctrines that are so important that while they don't break fellowship, they don't, they're not salvific issues, but they're important issues. And they mean that we, we can't partner together in the local church, right? So infant baptism, right? Pedo baptism versus credo baptism. Or infant baptism versus believer's baptism. This is one of those issues, right? If you believe in uh, baptizing your babies, look, you're wrong. That's not biblical. But it doesn't mean you're not a brother or sister in Christ. Uh, and I realize our Presbyterian brothers um, would would take issue that we don't. But but those are second tier issues, right? And and there are there are several that fit in that category. And then everything else becomes a third tier issue until it's not, right? Third, third tier issues are issues, uh, differences in doctrine that um, should not and would not naturally eliminate uh, people from being part of the same local church. Look, the epistles are filled with these kinds of things. 
um, you know, what you believe, your, your eschatology, for instance, is the third-tier doctrine until it becomes elevated, right? Uh, until it becomes some sort of hyper-eschatological, you know, over-realized eschatology. Um, but just on the surface, right, it's, it's a third-tier doctrine. And there are a lot of these. You know, what you believe about the Nephilim, for instance, that's a third-tier doctrine. I mean, maybe that's we need to make some other tiers for lower ones for those things. Um, you know, so fundamentally, a lot of these guys just don't know how to do doctrinal triage. I think Al Mohler coined that term, or at least as far as I, I can remember. So they're not truly Reformed. You can't say you're Reformed if you're not plugged into a local church. You can't say you understand the church if you're not plugged into a local church. You can't say that you have um, solid grasp on doctrines, um, just in general, on biblical doctrine, if you're not plugged into a local church. Because the issue here is that we are commanded as believers to not forsake the gathering of the brethren. We, you know, you look at scripture and you see the. Um, you know, you, you see the apostles and the early church meeting together regularly, and this is established, right, in Scripture. We have all kinds of commands about um, fellowshipping and what, uh, you know, our gathering is to uh, look like on, on the day that we gather on the Lord's Day. We have all sorts of parameters for preachers, for congregants in Scripture and you just simply can't do any of those things, which we're going to get into uh, the, the scriptures in a, in a little bit here that kind of talk through what the Bible actually teaches about church membership. So in the reform camp, you've got all this stuff going on. I think there's something else that's going on with those who claim to be reformed or even Calvinistic um, and uh, who, who won't plug into a local church. And I think another reason is that, you know, some of these guys... And, and if you're one of them, you need to ask yourself if this is true of you. Some of these guys are, are only intellectually saved and, and not truly saved. Well, well, what do I mean by that? Well, I, I think we just need to recognize that um, the, the Reformed camp, the Calvinistic camp of church, is very strong on biblical interpretation, uh, understanding the text, you know, uh, the, the grammatical historical hermeneutic. It takes great care of um, parsing the text, understanding what the author uh, the authorial intent was of the text. It's very it can be very intellectual, and there's nothing wrong with that in and of itself. But what happens is that has the tendency to draw guys who are just kind of character character their 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 character is a little more intellectual, right? Uh, they're a little less touchy feely and a little more intellectual. And so sometimes these guys get drawn into our camps, and the reality is they know about Jesus in their head, and uh, but he's not really in their heart. Um, they're they're not truly saved, and because they're not truly saved, they have no great love for the church, which would compel them to be a member, a committed member of the local church. And you know, um. It, and then I think there's the reality of all the nuances, right? You can be going through a dark season in your life and all of that sort of thing, but the exceptions don't make the rule. So, brothers and sisters, 
listen, if you know someone who is in this, I think, you know, it's our duty if we really love them to point them to scriptures. Um, and if that's you, then you really need to sit down and first, I, I would genuinely say first is to examine yourself and see if you are in the faith. Because if you haven't been to church for years, you'll not convince me that Christ has truly gripped your heart and that the Holy Spirit indwells in you. You you can't tell me you've not been to church for five, ten years and and convince me that you're saved. Because there's just no love for the body of Christ. You you can't say that you love Christ and then reject fellowship with his body. It doesn't work that way. So we have all of those issues. And, and I think also one of the things that I would just really encourage uh, these guys who are in this situation to consider is the fact that, you know, God knows that the church is full of people who are sinful, who are less than perfect. We are imperfect people, right? Serving a holy and perfect God. The church is filled with both tares and wheat. We're told this in the scriptures. And so we've got to commit to the local church knowing that there's going to be many things that we hear even there'll be things from the leadership, right? The elders of the church that people don't agree with. And I, I think there's a lot of ways to address that. But first and foremost, right, unless it is a primary or secondary doctrine, right? So if you're a Presbyterian, you know, I, I wouldn't expect you to be able to be fully committed faithfully um, in, in a Baptist, in a Reformed Baptist church, now, once you get biblical and you set aside the sprinkling babies, then absolutely. I adjust a little bit there. But um but you see what I mean. And a Reformed Baptist could never faithfully join uh, a, a Presbyterian church. Now I say that, but then I would also say if one or the other is the only biblical church in your area, then you have a duty and an obligation to attend there. And, and not to try to change the doctrine of the local church in those areas. Um, by all means, you can have conversations with the elders and things like that. But the goal would not be to go in and create strife. Um, you know, if that's the only biblical church, you know, in the area that I live in, there's no Presbyterian church here. So in the city that I live in, Alaska, for instance, if you were a Presbyterian, you know, our church would be the only Reformed church in the entire city, as far as I know. Um, and so you would have a duty and an obligation to attend that church. And so I, I think part of the problem is that, um, yeah, I've mentioned lots of parts of the problem, but one of the issues is that far too many Christians have become worldly. And Christians in the Reform camp are not exempt from, from this, right? We live in a society that's a consumer-driven society, right? Burger King, you can have it your way. And it's not just, you know, the charismatics that jump from church to church to church claiming that the Holy Spirit told them to move here and move there and don't go here. And, you know, I was offended by the color of purple and the Holy Spirit showed me that 
you know, purple was, you know, from, from the devil in this one church and blah, blah, blah. So I'll go to a different one. And we're not talking about that. It's not just those kinds of people, but even in the reform camp. And I think the way that culture has crept in to the reform camp is a lot of guys, they're looking for their perfect flavor of church. Stop it. Go to the most biblical church in your area. And if the most biblical church, and I'm using church in its truest definition, not talking about apostates, um, a, a, you know, a, a church with a, a woman pastor is not a church. So I'm not speaking about those kinds of things, but you go to the most biblical church in your area. And what arrogance and lack of humility it would take for someone to find a church like that and decide that it would be better off for them not to be plugged into the local church because they have all of their ducks in a row, theologically speaking. Of course, by evidence, they clearly don't. And instead of being willing to commit to a local church and serve and love the church in such a way where you're a part of growing everyone up into healthier doctrine, you just write them off. That's not love. I mean, if that's your mentality, then you can't tell me that you love the body of Christ. And so many of these guys, you know, I, I can't speak for their motives, but that's what they demonstrate, right? That they have no true love for the church. So they hop around for, from church to church to church. We've got to stop doing this, right? Or at the very least, if you're not plugged into a church, I don't even want to say stop calling yourself reformed because clearly you're not. Right, like if you hold to a confession, you don't get to say that you hold to the confession and then not be plugged into a local church. Uh, either one of two things are happening there. Either one, you're a liar, totally dishonest, or you don't actually know what the confession says. And you know, for a lot of these guys, I think it's a case of just utter dishonesty. Okay, and I met people like this. Right, people who haven't been to church for five, ten years. Um, you know, in fact, I've throughout the years I've met several of these. In fact, far more than I ever realized existed. Who you know, either they haven't been to a, a church in a long time, or or they're never in a church longer for than a year or two. So you've got two options. Um, maybe you've got three options. Okay, um, but I'll I'll say two. If you're in an area that doesn't have a biblical church, in other words, everything around you is either first-tier apostate, or you live in an area where there is no church, because there are those areas, then you've got a couple options. The first option is move. Well, Nathaniel, that sounds so harsh. I mean, what you would tell someone to move just to go to a church? And I would say to you, if you ever think of church as just going to church, then dear friend, I just wonder how beautiful Christ and his body is to you. If your thought of church is just going to church, then I don't think you understand the magnificence, the, the, just the absolute blessing and loveliness of the bride of Christ. People will move all across the country for secular jobs, for sports. And then the moment you tell them 
to move for a church, they become all confused and dazed and in a tizzy and as though you've just told them just that, you know, they they should dig a a nuclear bomb shelter and set a timer for 30 years and go in it because we're going to get nuked by Russia next week. I mean, they respond in a similar way, as though you're utterly out of your mind. No, if you don't have a church in your area, a biblical one, I didn't say a perfect one, right? Just one that's not level tier one apostate, then move. It's worth it. It should be one of the primary concerns for the Christian in their day-to-day life is that you live in a Christian community. And by Christian community, I don't mean you're gathering people in your home necessarily. I mean that you have a local church body, a local group of people that gather regularly, that do the things Scripture commands us to do on the Lord's Day together. Now, so that's one option. Now, here's another option. And and this might fit in if you are, you know, gathering people to meet with is if you're biblically qualified, start a church where you are and start gathering people. Start evangelizing um, and gather people together and, and plan a church. Now, I'll just tell you this, though. If you haven't been to church, you know, in years, you are not biblically qualified. I'm not saying that you can never be. But you are not biblically qualified, because how on earth are you going to be an example to those who are coming? How are you going to go from not being in church for the last, whatever, two, three, five, ten years, to telling people that they need to commit uh, to a local church? You'd be a hypocrite. So if you haven't been to church, you can't plan a church. But what you can do is you can reach out to some others who are biblically qualified to see if they would plan a church. Right, there are all kind of resources today. You can call um, uh, Grace Community Church. You know they've got a website. Founders has a website, um, and there there are lots of places you can call local churches who are maybe in the next state over that are biblical and see if they'd be willing to plant a church in your area. So those are really your two options, right? Move or find a way to plant a church to get a church planted. And if you sit there and you're like, well, I'm not moving for church, well, then I think you should question whether or not you're a Christian. Because most people would move for a career. And if you'd move for a career and not for a church, something's wrong with you. And I don't mean that to be uh, ugly. I, I mean, there's something spiritually wrong, right? When we're willing to make, you know, those kinds of sacrifices for the least important things. Um, yeah, and so we, we've got those issues. I think there's another category of people, right? Um, a broader category of people who struggle when you talk about the necessity to be a church member, or be plugged into local church. And this is just sort of your general professing Christian. Um, you know, you'll get more of these than in the other group for sure. And I think. Uh, the reason why are are similar reasons. One is that many aren't Christian. Um, you know, the thing with posting on social media, and sometimes we forget this, right? You post on Twitter, you post on Facebook, and you get all these comments and you think, man, uh, the whole nation's like this. Well, that's not necessarily true. Remember, um, you only have a handful of people on your, for most of us, right? I only have a handful of people who follow my Twitter account. 
And, um, you know, with the algorithms and everything, however they work, uh, I don't know exactly. But what I do know is that not everyone in our country sees what I tweet. And I don't see what everyone in our country tweets. In fact, I don't even see uh, some of the people who I follow and want to see very often. Um, and so we tend to we we tend to look at our very limited exposure in either direction on social media and then think, wow, the whole country's this way. Well, so that's not really true. We need to kind of rein that in uh, and, and understand that it's very limited, to be honest. But um, put something about church membership and you'll get a lot of people who um, are, you know, just not Christian responding. And, you know, you can go to the profiles and you see that there are so-called liberal Christian or, you know, they, whatever the case is. So let's set those people aside. Let, let's talk about the people who, um, that's not where they are in life. They would say that they're professing Christians, um, but they've sort of bought into this idea that they can worship at home with just their family. They can worship uh, just as they read their Bible because they pray at times, they worship, et cetera, et cetera. Um, again, some of them just aren't Christian. Uh, I'm, you know, I, I, I'm almost bold enough to say that if someone's not been to church in, you know, five, ten years, um, and and it's not because of some extenuating circumstance, they aren't Christian. Now, I don't know that there's a lot of nuance in there. Uh, again, there there could be some situations, but again, th th those don't make the rule. I think another reason that there's so much pushback from this group is because many of them don't read their Bible. Um. I'm not sure that as many guys in the reform camp read their Bible as they say they do. Um, but definitely in the broad scope of Christianity, if you look at the statistics, right, very few people read their Bibles. And so if you don't read your Bible, then you have no idea what God's plan for the local church is, right? Now, when I say church, well, I'll get into that in a minute. But they have no idea what the local assembly is meant to be. They have no idea what you're supposed to do on the Lord's Day, what's expected um, of, of church members on the Lord's Day. They don't even know that you're expected to be a member of a local church, right? And, and so they would push back on this. But then I would just ask a few questions. If you're not in church or you know someone that's not in church, and they haven't been for some lengthy amount of time, I think some of the questions I like to ask people is, well, if you don't believe there's an expectation uh, to be in a local church, then, you know, why do you have the commands, for instance, to love one another? I mean, most people know something about that. Um, how do you exercise love for one another if you aren't around one another? Right. And uh, in fact, let me just pull up. Ephesians here and see if I can get there. Um, you know, the gifts that were given to church members are meant to be used together to build one another up, to unify each other. And so if you're sitting at home Sunday after Sunday, week after week, not gathering with the full body of believers, then how could you exercise these one another's. Well, you couldn't, obviously, right? You couldn't. And so that's, 
I mean, that, that's just a good question to ask. Um, so you go to chapter four of Ephesians. And Ephesians is such a great book. Now, I'm not saying that just because I'm preaching through it, uh, although I am. I think we've got two more, one, one to two more sermons, and then uh, we'll be finished uh, with, I think, maybe 85 or 86 sermons in Ephesians. But you go to chapter four in Ephesians, and I mean, just listen to, um, just listen to this, right? Paul starts off by saying, therefore, I, the prisoner in the Lord, exhort you to walk worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Let me just stop right there. Do you think you can say that you've, uh, and I I don't mean you listening because I'm sure you're in church, but this person um, that isn't going to church, do they think they can say that they're walking worthily in a manner that exalts and points to Christ and uh, elevates his body and his bride? no, but but let me just continue on. It says, uh, walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called with all humility and gentleness and patience. Now, this is the one right here. If someone's hopping from church to church to church to church, and it's always these more minor doctrinal issues that they're somehow blowing out of proportion and making it more than uh, a, 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 you know, a tertiary kind of doctrinal issue, they have no patience. And so already they're not walking in a manner worthy of the calling. But then the, the next phrase, listen after this. Now, this is right, uh, chapter four, verse two. Bearing with one another in love. How can you tell me that you are truly bearing with your brothers and sisters in Christ if you aren't in a local church? And if you're always leaving because you're frustrated because some people believe this and some people believe that. You're not bearing with one another. In fact, if anything, they're an inconvenience to you. The moment you get a little frustrated, a little irritated, you just pick up and run, right? And so you 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 read through this and you go, you know, you you go through this um this section. You get to verse eleven, talks about how he's given pastors and teachers and. Uh, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service. Let me just talk about that. If you're not a little in a local church, you aren't being equipped. I mean, this is the reason we have evangelist pastors and teachers in the church today. They to, to equip the saints for the work of service. And it goes on to say, to the building up of the body of Christ. Right. Let me just keep reading. Verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the full knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs in the fullness of Christ, so that we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. Let me talk about this. There are two ways men are carried away by every wind of doctrine. Two ways. Um, now, this is just an observation and maybe even a principle. Uh, the, the passage is um, speaking about uh, constantly believing deceitful doctrines, right? Because you aren't grounded in the faith, because you aren't rightly equipped by um, pastors and teachers in the church, every time you hear a new doctrine, uh, you get pulled away from it. So that's what this passage is talking about. But there's another way in which we're carried about by every wind of doctrine. And, and I think that is, um, and we see this today. And maybe it 
could fit in the same category, but I want to separate it a little bit, um, is that anytime there's a strong emphasis on doctrines that we already know, uh, you find a lot of guys popping churches because, oh, well, I mean, this is the, the new fad doctrine. And so our church isn't emphasizing it like all these other churches. Therefore, uh, I, I need to leave and go to one of these other churches that's emphasizing this thing. Look, the, the Young Restless and Reform movement had a lot of this. Um, that's still being carried away by every wind of doctrine. Um, again, that's not what this passage is saying, but it's just one way that uh, guys just don't stay plugged into a local church. And and the issue is because they have a poor understanding of what the local church is and what their responsibility to the local church is, right? And then it, there are just other general issues too. I don't really have time unless this is going to be an hour and a half podcast, and it's not um, to go through all about church membership. But um, there are a couple things, and and this is one of the questions, right? The the guys in the reform camp just have some. Um, there's just some mental blockage or, or something. But again, I think the problem is truly a spiritual problem. It's not mental blockage. It's a spiritual problem. Um, and, and if you're listening, please hear, and, and you fall in this category and you're like, well, Nathan, you don't understand how bad these churches are. Well, just listen um, and, and hear you know, my pastoral heart for, for these people. And if that's you, then, then hear it for you as well. If, if, if these tertiary doctrines um, are causing you to leap from church to church to church to church, again, I'm concerned that you may not know Christ. Now, you may, and you may just be very um, spiritually immature in your faith. You've got head knowledge, right? You've got book knowledge. You read the Puritans. You listen to these great preachers like MacArthur and Vody and Paul Washer and Dr. Lawson, Stephen Lawson. Um, but there's just something missing in your spiritual formation. And, and it's missing, to be quite frank, because, you know, you're, um, you're rejecting the very thing and place that God uses to help form you and develop you. And that's the local church sitting under the preaching and teaching of elders, right? Their role is to equip the saints. If you aren't in a local church, sitting under, submitting to the authority of the elders in the church as they preach the Word of God and teach the Word of God, then you are going to be, well, for lack of better words, spiritually deformed, despite all of your head knowledge. And so that's just something to consider. But so a lot of the guys in the reform camp, they would say, yeah, I, I know the scripture teaches we have to be a member of the local church. So I'm not trying to, I don't really need to address that crowd, I think. Um, just from scripture, but for this other crowd of people who are, for whatever reason, just adamantly opposed to being committed to a local church. And I think this is um, because they're more worldly, right, than they are a Christian. I'm not saying that they're not Christian, though I've made the comment multiple times. Uh, if you've not been in church for years, I've, I'd be concerned for your soul. Um, but you go to 1 Corinthians 5, great passage. 1 Corinthians 5, the Apostle Paul is dealing here um, with immorality in the church, right? He's addressing a rather serious immoral issue in the church in the first couple 
um, verses. And we see that um, during Paul's addressing this issue, he makes some distinctions that are really important pertaining to the idea of church membership. Right, so uh, you, you look at the first, I don't know what it is, first 13, 15 verses or so. Um, so he's, he's dealing with this uh, sexual immorality in the church, right? And he begins uh, the portion of the text by saying, it is actually reported that there is immorality among you. Now, this is important. So 1 Corinthians 5, uh, the very first verse it's actually reported that there is immorality among you. Now he says you, and that's important because it it it's a it, it's a plural you. He's singling out the group that is considered the church in Corinth, right? That is a distinguishable group of people. In other words, there's the church, and there's not the church. It's important to the discussion of church membership because Paul lumps them together in a unified group. He singles them out as a unit, right? Separating them from those around them. We talk about church membership. Uh, we're talking about being part of a recognized group, right? Now, if you look a little closer into the actual situation here of the man's expulsion for immorality, I think we see the expectation of membership. So Paul finds out about this immorality. It's of, you know, just utterly wicked in nature. It's beyond even that of the pagans, he says. And then, and then listen to what Paul does. He rebukes those in Corinth because they have not put this man out from them. In other words, this man was a known part of their group. He was a member of this Christian group. This man belonged to them. He was a part of the known church. And in discovering this horrendous sin, Paul says that they become arrogant because they have refused to mourn and excommunicate this man. So listen, the implication here is that each one of us has to be a known, committed member to a local group of believers such that if discipline were required, we could be addressed and even excommunicated if necessary. Well, that obviously can't happen if you're floating around from church to church to church all the time or just simply not going to church, right? I mean, we're just making some observations here. For this to be true, this man had to be a known, committed member of this group. And then Paul says the responsibility of the group is to put someone out of their group to place someone outside of where they currently belonged because of this unrepentant sin. Well, that implies that they were a known, committed member, if you will, right? Just some observations here. Um, and then Paul goes on. He says, for what do I have, uh, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? Do you not judge those who are within the church? I mean, again, you have to know who's, in the church, but those who are outside God judges, remove the wicked man from among yourselves. Again, this could never happen if there wasn't some sort of committed relationship prior to this. Otherwise, this man would be one of those who were outside, which Paul says God judges, right? So there's a known distinction here. 
um, membership is implied in this text, right? So um, you go to Galatians 2, right? Galatians 2, Paul's writing to the church here in Asia Minor. He's giving his apostolic credentials. And in the midst of this, you have verse 4. Right? He says, but it was because of the false brethren secretly brought in who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to bring us into bondage. So I'm just making a case for church membership from Scripture here, right? Um, who is Paul addressing? Well, Paul's addressing the Judaizers here as the false brethren. They pretended to be true followers of Christ, but they were, in fact, demanding obedience to the law through circumcision, through Mosaic regulations, um, which were counter to the gospel of Christ at this stage. And, but this is what uh, what we need to recognize from the passage. is It says that they were secretly brought in. Now, just bear with me here. Let's just think through the implications of this a little bit. The idea that someone could sneak in unaware, in other words, not belonging, seems to indicate that this wasn't just an open public group of people meeting who were coming and going as they pleased, or that anyone in the street was just hanging around to hear what was being said. Um, in other words, this was a meeting of Christians that were a distinguishable group known to one another, which would make them members of one another, right? So for someone to sneak in unaware of this group, um, they would have to be bringing people in as they became Christian and being known to one another. You wouldn't call people totally unknown to you brethren, right? Paul's writing here, uh, unless there was something common and a known bond. If you lived in the same city where, you know, there was only one church, you'd be committed to that one group. You live in a city where there are multiple churches, then, you know, the church, uh, the gathering would be perhaps a little more localized, but this would be true. But here again, the passage implies that there's a group of people that were separated from an outside group of people, right? Membership. So church membership is implied all throughout the scripture. Um, it's not just implied, it's necessary for our own spiritual growth. We've seen that. And to um, forsake commitment as a member of a local church, uh, you really just cannot be obedient to scripture. You just can't. Now, can you sit in a church, uh, attend every Sunday and fellowship and, you know, year in and year out and still be a Christian without ever joining as a church member? Sure, you can. Um, but the reality is that, um, you know, the people in your community, in your local church, I mean, you want to know they're committed to you and your health and spiritual growth, right? You should. Uh, this is what the body of Christ does for one another. One's an eye, one's an ear, one's a foot, one's, you know something else or whatever, and, and you're all part of the same body and you all need one another, right? Uh, Paul tells us one can't say to the other, I have no need of you, but that's exactly what you do if you're not a church member. You are literally, by your lifestyle, saying to the body of Christ, I have no need of you. 
So really, you're putting yourself outside of the body of Christ. Because I can't say to the ear, I have no need of you. The hand can't say to the foot, I have no need of you. And if your lifestyle is saying that, then again, something is wrong, right? Something is wrong. Um, you go to Ephesians 5. Uh, we, you know, again, we, we talked about that already, Ephesians 5. Um, but you go to Ephesians 5, uh, let's see, verse 21. It says, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Actually, let me just back up a little bit. So um, Ephesians 5, 15 uh, through 21, let me just read that. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, here it comes. So we're told to be filled with the Spirit. Now we're going to kind of see part of what that looks like. What does it look like to be filled with the Spirit, Paul? Verse 19 is going to kind of explain, um, give us some application. He says, 19, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. If you're not committed to a local church as a member, how are you doing this? How are you demonstrating that you are that you are filled with the Spirit by speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs if you're not in a local body singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs? You can't do this on your own, you know, with just your family at home, because that's not what this is. That's not what the church is. It's, the church is not just your immediate family. Now, verse 20, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. Here, verse 21, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. I mean, simply stated, the idea of being submitted to one another requires and implies a recognized union with one another. And we are told that the union we have is Christ. We are unified together in Christ. And so again, here's a known, recognizable fellowship with one another. Membership's implied, right? Membership's implied. You are either a member of the body of Christ or you're not. And if you're a member of the body of Christ and you're not in a local church, then you're about as good as a finger chopped off of a hand laying on the ground. You're no longer a member. You were a member, maybe. And now you're bleeding out. Right? You get my point. Um, you can't be submitted to one another, and you can't be subject to one another if you aren't in a local church. And I think this is one of the dangers of American culture. We're, we're so individualistic here, we're so individualistic. American culture produces people, and we're all guilty of this because, you know, for most of us, we grew up in this culture. Very individualized. My faith, my house, my family, my, you know, X, Y, Z. But the reality is, as a Christian, it's not my, it's us. Right? You're, you're, you're not a finger cut off. You're attached to a hand, which is attached to an arm, which is attached to the body, right? But you just simply can't be obedient to Scripture if you're not 
plugged into a local church. I mean, 1 Timothy 3.5 says, But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? Here, the church of God is likened to a family. I mean, everyone knows who his immediate family is, right? Every man knows who lives in his household and who he's responsible for. And so I would say, likewise, we need to know who are the local family members within the church. 1 Timothy 5.17 The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. I mean, Paul's not commanding Timothy to simply rule over everyone in Ephesus. I mean, do you know how big Ephesus was? Of course not. I mean, elders are meant to rule well over a specifically known group of people. They can't rule well over who they don't know. There has to be an identifiable way to measure who the people are that the elders are to rule well over. Right? So membership is implied here again. The elder has to know who the congregate is. The congregate needs to know who their elders are. Which leads me to the next passage, Hebrews 13, 17. I know a lot of people don't like this, man, especially Westerners. We hate these kinds of passages because we don't like to be subject or submit to anybody. But here it is from the word of God, from the mouth of God to the people of God. 13, 17, obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? Why do we obey our leaders and submit to them? Look, it's not because they're better than you are. I'm no better than anyone in my church. Look, I've got guys in my church who are far, far more brilliant and talented than I am, just generally speaking. But you know, they weren't called to be a pastor. I was. So why? Why do we submit to them? Well, it goes on to tell us, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Now, let me ask you, who is keeping watch over your soul? And if you can't tell me a specific person or group of people in a plurality of elders, then you're wrong. You are outside of what the Bible understands to be a faithful Christian. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Do you know that the elders of your church, or the elders of a church, if you're not in a church, they will actually stand before God and give an account for all the souls that they were meant to watch over. I mean, that's a terrifying, terrifying thought. Right? So the question here is, how are you obeying leaders and submitting to them if you refuse to join a local church? Well, you can't, and you don't. And this is a command of Scripture, right? It didn't say obey your leaders if they're perfect, because you're never going to find that. Right? It doesn't say submit to them in, you know, as long as they agree wholly with everything you have to say. Now, we're, ta we're not talking about abuses, okay? Obviously. But in today's world... We need to say that. You know, we're not talking about issues of uh, primary, you know, importance. But you 
Obey and submit to them because they're training you in righteousness. They're keeping watch over your soul. They're praying for you. They're weeping over you know, the heartaches in your life. They're rejoicing with you as you rejoice in the victories in your life. They're thinking about what you need spiritually, how to grow and what areas you know, they see God working in and what areas that they might have concerns over. Right, so this is scripture. And and again, th- that's not all of the passage, right? The second sentence in verse 17 here, uh, Hebrews 13, 17, says, Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Now, if you're hopping from church to church to church to church, let me tell you, you are creating grief in those churches. If there are biblical elders there, you are not obeying this passage in almost every way possible. You're not obeying and submitting to leaders who are keeping watch over your soul, and you're not doing it with joy. You're doing it giving grief because you're hopping from church to church to church to church. And this, God says, will be unprofitable for you. But again, this passage implies that there's a known commitment between the person and the one who is watching over their souls. I mean, have you ever heard of a shepherd, like an actual shepherd who didn't know his own flock? Look, my grandfather was a goat farmer. And I'm telling you, not only did my grandfather know the goats, but the goats knew my grandfather. I remember as a little kid, um, we used to love spending the summers with grandpa. You know, he would pay us a buck to see if we could wrestle the, uh, the, the Billy's horns to the, to the ground, you know? And of course you, you never could, um, as a little kid, but it was, it was fun. But you know, my grandpa, I mean, he hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of goats, maybe thousands, um, on an unbelievable amount of land. And, um, he would stand in the front yard and he would do this loud whistle and uh, shout, come on, come on, come on. And I'm telling you, no matter where those goats were, there would be this dust cloud that would just start moving towards us. I mean, it was a stampede truly. In fact, we would go down to uh, when he would make that call uh, it would be because he was going to feed them whatever their daily ration of like uh, oats and whatever honey feed or sweet feed or whatever he had. Um, and it was such a stampede that there was a special place we would have to stand because you could get killed, right? But but he knew his goats and the goats knew him. And that's really my point. A shepherd, which is what pastors are you know referred to as in scripture, they know their flock. They have to know their flock. And so if you're not a church member, right, then what flock are you a part of? What leaders are you submitting to? What believers are you loving, serving, building up, edifying? I mean, all these things all throughout Scripture implies the necessity and expectation of church membership. Well, this episode's going long. So we're five minutes before the, the hour mark, so I'm just going to hit the hour mark, right? The other thing is that Church membership creates healthy churches. Like here's the reality: if if this person truly is a believer, um, then the church needs them, and they need the church. We reference First uh, Corinthians twelve, 
12 through 27. I, I just want to end on this. I want to read this and let you consider this. Now, I know without Eki, I've kind of gone on this sort of a long monologue, and I hope it's been relatively ordered. And this is just something that's been on my heart for a long time, and um, I, I could have maybe written up a, a really nice order of discussion, but I just wanted to share uh, with you from my heart as a, as a pastor, because it it's heartbreaking to see so many profess Christ who just want nothing to do with Christ's body. Well, let me let me end with with this passage and just listen. I know you know it, right? First Corinthians twelve twelve through twenty seven. In fact, go ahead and make a note. Write it down. You need to spend some time restudying this passage. Restudying this passage because it's vital, right? Let me read it. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body. It is not for this reason any less a part of the body. Do you get that? In other words, there's no such thing as a genuine member of the, of the body that's isolated from the rest of the body. And if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? And see, the point here is that Every Christian is needed in the body of Christ. You're needed in the local church. And don't get a big head. You aren't that important. But you are needed and you are important. Verse 17, if, uh, sorry, verse 18. But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desires. So whatever gifts that you have in the body, whether you feel like you are a, a greater member or a lesser member, the point here is that God has given you the gifts and talents he's given you, he's placed you in the body where he wants you, and you're necessary for that reason, right? Verse 19, if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, now here's what we've been talking about. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. And this is exactly what a Christian does when they refuse to be a member of a local church. They are literally, by their life and actions, saying to part of the body, I have no need of you. He goes on, or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are, much, are more necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor, and our less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body. Do you get that? God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked. This is God's body. And when you reject being a part of the bride of Christ, in a local sense, when you reject the local body of Christ, it is true that you reject God. God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacks, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care 
for one another. Well, let me just ask you, how are you caring for one another if you refuse to be, or if someone's refusing to be part of the local church? And he goes on to say, if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice in it. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. And I think Paul's analogy of the human body in part is to help us understand how ridiculous it is to consider having pieces of the body that aren't attached or somehow useful to one another. Right? Well, we're out of time for today. And this is this is enough of my rant. But truly, you know, I don't mean to sound uh, harsh. That That's not my goal or my intention. I hope it hasn't come across that way. But it is a very, um, it, it's a very big issue. And uh, it's, it, it's a, it's an important issue to deal with, right? So my encouragement to you uh, would be, if if you're one of these who have not been a part of a local church, go back through. There are a lot of more scriptures you can consider, um, and just consider the reality that Christ redeemed you. If you are saved, Christ saved you and placed you into a body where you are meant to love and serve those in the local body. I mean, because that's the only what the local body, right, just humanly speaking, is the way this has to happen. And all of these passages we read assume that you're in close living proximity with other known believers and you're committed to one another. And so if you can't say there's this group of believers here that I meet with on every Lord's Day and we live life throughout the week at times together that I'm committed to and they're committed to me, if you can't say that, then you aren't following the biblical expectation for Christianity. If you can't say, here are the elders that I submit to because these are the elders who watch over my soul regularly, then you are not falling within the parameters of biblical Christianity. If you can't say that I have elders who equip me every week for the works of service, If you can't say that you have those elders and that they know you and you know them, then your life falls outside of biblical Christianity. So I would just encourage you to really consider what we've said here today and get plugged into a local church. You'll find God's blessing in your life in a unique way that can only be found in the local church you'll find that your spiritual life is better for it, and you'll find that God uses you to build up others in the local church. So don't be selfish. Get into and commit to and join as a member a local church. Well, guys, I hope this episode has been helpful to you. If you know someone who is um, not yet found a church or is struggling with the idea of Church membership, feel free to um, share this podcast. Uh, today's episode is just audio only, but we'll still put the audio version up on the YouTube. So if you haven't visited our YouTube, guys, please go and like our YouTube page. Um, you, you can find that information on the show notes here. 
Uh, also, don't forget, we'd love to hear your emails. Um, we, we get emails from guys occasionally. We'd love to hear what God has, uh, what God's doing in your life as a result of maybe some of the podcasts that you've heard, or if you have any suggestions uh, for podcasts that you would like to hear um, or any other recommendations, just email us. We'd love to read those and and rejoice with you and um, and and share in what you have to say there. So thank you guys for joining us. And until next time, let the truth be known. The Truth Be Known podcast is a theologically driven, gospel-centered program serving the body of Christ by bringing biblical truth to bear on issues facing the church today. Subscribe to the Truth Be Known podcast by using the podcast app on your Apple or Android device or listen online at strivingforeternity.org in the podcast section.